Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, we're back with another edition of the Blue White Breakdown. Penn Lies Penn State Football Podcast. I'm Bob Flounders. He is Greg Pickle. And now we we're, we are into spring practice officially, Greg. Really, since mid-December, it's been busy for Penn State, but they're, they're going to get back for the first time since 2019. They're going to have on-field drills during spring. James Franklin met with the media on Monday, had some interesting comments. We're going to talk about those comments. Greg, I found it a little interesting. Uh, their updated roster some of the weights of some of the players, whether they added weight or lost weight, a little bit significant. I know it's winter and things tend to change in the summer when it gets warmer and some some players want to add weight and then plan on taking it off. Dwight Galt talks about, you know, putting good weight on or taking bad weight off and then putting good weight back on. So we'll see how they look in the fall, but it's always interesting Penn Live started their list of 20, the 25 most interesting Penn State players and coaches this offseason with an eye towards spring. We released, we're counting backwards. So we're 25 through 21 ran today on Penn Live. We'll talk a little bit about those, Greg. But how are you doing? I know you have a little bit of a vacation coming up. I'm sure you're looking forward to that. So how are things in the Middletown area? All right, Bob. They're doing pretty good. and. Uh... It's nice to know that spring drills are underway again, and we're talking about actual football, actual uh, work in pads, actual drills, and not just wondering what these guys can do when they get back on the field, because they are actually back on the field. So uh, looking forward to following spring practice, however we can. And you're right. It was an interesting, what, about 45 minutes with James Franklin the other day. Yeah. Before we talk about what James had to say, with the news that April 4th, Governor Wolf is going to allow people to sit back at bars. They're opening up increasing capacity in in a lot of different venues, bars, gyms, movie theaters, restaurants, up to 75%. But I want want my focus with you to be on, was it like Christmas coming early for you, Greg, when you heard the news that come April 4th, which is a Sunday, I think, that's a little bit weird, that you will be able to sit in a bar seat at some of your your favorite bars in the midstate. Yeah, I would say Christmas Day is fair, Bob. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was a uh, it was nice again to see that uh you know spring practice bar seating uh, increased indoor and outdoor capacity. It yeah. was all signs that things are continuing to point in the right direction. And to that end, Bob, part of that announcement was related to the capacity that's going to be okay at outdoor events, which. I guess that's a good segue to uh, some of what James Franklin had to say, and we'll start with the blue-white game. People think that because of that capacity increase that maybe Penn State will have a blue-white game this year. But, Bob, I think we're probably in agreement here. 
If James Franklin has his way, there's not going to be a 2021 Penn State blue-white game, at least not in the way that we've seen it done before. I think when you come off a four and five season and you have some questions, you didn't have a spring in 2020, spring of 2020. You want all of the all of the spring practice sessions that you can get. And the blue-white game, as much as people like to go up there on a, on a nice Saturday and kind of tailgate a little bit, see some old friends, you know, just get a look at some of the younger players. As much as that is a as something that Penn State fans look forward to, the coaching staff would probably just rather have an, an additional practice to kind of evaluate kind of where their players are. Penn State's got some January enrollees. They have some significant transfer portal guys. It's all got to come together. They have their third offensive coordinator in three years, and Mike Yersich is going to do uh, some different things, I think, with this Penn State offense. There's some replacing some really, really talented players on defense and on offense, and I think that just – I think their focus is more about practicing maybe behind the scenes than, than a blue-white game. I, I'm with you, Greg. I'd be very surprised if there is a blue-white game. I think maybe down the road, 2022, 2023, there'll be something like the blue-white game. But the last couple of years, it really becoming less and less of really a football experience. It's more of an entertainment experience. And I think in future years, Greg, if they do bring it back, and I'm sure they will, it's the, the emphasis is going to be more on the entertainment and probably less on the football end, wouldn't you think? Yeah, there's no question. And I don't know how they do it and get around. It feels to me like whenever they bring this back, and I think you're right, 2022 is when that, gonna, when that will be, Bob. They're going to have to find a way to marry the idea of using that 15th practice in a productive way with uh, trying to keep this tradition of bringing people together in state college for kind of a weekend of, of fun and celebration alive. And it's not an easy task. So I don't know if something just tells me, Bob, that whenever we see this again, it's going to look more like an open practice than a scrimmage. Right. You know, of course you could say that a scrimmage is an open practice too, but I could, I could just see it being more drill oriented than anything else. And you can come into the stadium and watch for a little bit and then kind of mosey on about your day. I just I have a hard time thinking that once James Franklin gets one shot at this, which it sounds like he's going to in terms of a closed 15th practice, that he's going to be eager to give all of those gains back a year from now. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. But news is going to be coming soon. James hinted at it that there's been a lot of discussions about what they want to do. I think they were probably also waiting to see if the governor would would relax the restrictions a little bit. But I. I think they probably have their minds made up with regard to the 2021 and how they want the spring to uh, to play out. We're wrong a lot, Greg, on, on the Blue-White Breakdown podcast, so who knows, maybe there will be a Blue-White game, but trying to read the tea leaves, I think maybe in the future you'll, you'll see that return, but I don't know that James and his staff are too keen to have one in 2021. It's a big spring, I think, for Penn State. And just moving along in regard to that, Greg, James – Gave some thoughts, I think, on the quarterback picture on Monday. He talked about Noah Kane's health. Noah Kane lasted all of three carries in 2020 before he got hurt at Indiana. He gave a little bit of an update on Noah. He talked a little bit about the interior of the offensive line. There was one, at least one intriguing position switch for me, uh, a young defensive player who's making a switch. I'm sure you had some takeaways as well, Greg, but. What of the news, uh, if you would call it that, 
what what piece of information jumped out uh, the most to you when James was giving this kind of state of the union uh, during Penn State spring football? Yeah, I mean, I think you make a good point that when you look at the defensive end and linebacker pitcher, Bob, the movements are Aya Fisher. It's like it's not exactly robbing Paul to pay John, but those numbers at both defensive end and linebacker. Are you didn't pay Paul. Yeah, Paul, John, whomever, Peter. Uh, it really makes no difference, but, you know, I'll try and get, get that right for future episodes. But, yeah, I mean, I think that he just kind of grew out of being a linebacker, but, you know, they need numbers at defensive end and at linebacker. So they must have felt pretty strongly that he needed to move. So you're right. I thought that was interesting. No one moving to safety at this point in time. That was another thing I thought was of note. I thought that yeah. maybe they would slide a cornerback there at this point in time. It doesn't sound like they're going to do that. But what it does sound like they're going to do, Bob, is try and find a transfer portal quarterback. And, you know, on one hand, the fact that James Franklin admitted that I thought was interesting. And on the other hand, it's almost like you look at the quarterback scholarship situation and say, well, yeah, they have to try and add one because they only have three right now. And as we saw with the running back room, it does not take long for three to become, uh, you know, not enough. And I obviously understand that you're probably not going to run into as many injuries and stuff at quarterback as you will at other positions. But even if it's not, you know, at one point, I think we all kind of assumed that if they were going to get somebody in the portal, Bob, it'd be someone, yeah. only someone who could win the starting job. And now it feels like you might just take somebody who can fit your program and be a scout team quarterback, be a guy who signals on the sideline and be a guy who provides depth and competition in that room. Because again, what you're, you know, when you have basically uh, the starter and then the backup and then not much, you know, it's just not a good place to be. So I think that, that the fact that he admitted that was interesting, but at the same time, I really don't know if they have a choice. Yeah, Greg. And you mentioned three scholarship quarterbacks. One's the January enrollee Christian Veyor. Now, according to Dwight Galt, that's how you pronounce his name. We've been pronouncing it Veyu. And Taquan Roberson is now entering, I believe he repeated his redshirt sophomore year. It's just actually his fourth year, I believe, in the program. Is that right? Now, we haven't seen anything. When, when you don't know, when there's so much you don't know about a fourth-year player at a crucial position, it's a little troubling. I, we're talking about our list, Penn Lai's list of the most interesting Penn State players and coaches kind of heading into spring and maybe continuing into August camp. Taquan Roberson has to be on that list, and he is, just because I have to think this is just a huge, huge spring for him. This is Mike, his third year on campus. Oh, third, year. Okay. third year. Yep. Okay. You know, Mike Yersich really needs to, to take a long, hard look, I think, at him. Because he's got, to, if he wants to have a quarterback, he's going to run. You have to believe that your your second string quarterback can come in and play well enough to keep you in a game. And we just don't know. Uh, we haven't seen enough about him. And I think you'll see how Penn State, what Penn State does in the transfer portal with regard to the quarterbacks after spring, will probably tell you all they need to know, all all we need to know about what they think of Roberson. Because more so, than I think than than the January enrollee. I, I think they really have to have a lot of confidence that he could come in, come in and play a series or two or a game or half a game if Sean gets banged up. And I, that's why I think the, the transfer of Will Levis is really significant because they could, I think, you know, stay in a lot of games in Big Ten games with him at quarterback. I think he was only going to get better. So, yeah, I think the quarterback picture is – is as murky as it's ever been, probably, 
during Franklin's time at Penn State. I'm sure, Greg, though, they feel a lot better uh, about the running back picture with what they have back, plus the addition of John Levitt from Baylor. Having said that, though, their most talented back, Noah Kane, I don't know that James was asked about his health. It was a lower leg injury at Indiana after he had such a great true freshman year in 2019. You got to err on the side of caution with Noah Kane. They pretty much know what they have in him. He said he said maybe halfway through spring we're going to know. Or we'll, we might be able to see Noah Kane in spring. But Greg, I remember he kind of said the same thing a couple of years ago about Tommy Stevens, and Tommy Stevens really was never worked that spring, and it ended up, you know, being the cause probably of why Tommy uh, left for Mississippi State. It was all about Sean Clifford that spring. What do you do? You think it would be smart to even try? I just don't know what the, what the value is of Noah King maybe getting any kind of physical work this spring. Yeah, I have a hard time believing that. I mean, I think it's easy to forget, but the season started in late October, not in September like it normally does. So when we're talking about guys suffering an injury early in the year and being back for spring practice, we ha- you have to remember that they're in multiple weeks behind schedule compared to normal. So that's one factor here. Um, the other one is, you know, James said he's still doing rehab type work. And I just find it very hard to believe that he's going to be ready for any kind of, you know, maybe he can go through a walkthrough or two, I guess, possibly in the, you know, by the second half of spring. But to me, it sounds like they're not going to get any meaningful work out of Noah Kane until the summer. But the good news is, is I don't know if they need it. I mean, I'm sure he yeah. would like to get more familiar with Mike Yurcich's system but, and be on the field and take some of those reps in his system during the spring. But I, I just don't know, you know, this will change some things for the running backs, but how much, I don't know. And he can probably pick up just as much standing there watching it and watching tape as he can doing it. So, yeah, I don't have any doubt that they would like to get him some work, Bob. I just don't know how realistic it is. And I certainly don't know how necessary it is. Yeah. So while James was talking, I, I was pouring it over the Penn State updated roster, Greg, and one of the running backs that Penn State really likes, Kevon Lee, their leading rusher last year uh, in terms of yardage. He's now, according to how they list him, he, he played last year at 230. He's up to 238. That's a, pretty, that's a pretty big running back. I was a little surprised by that, but he is a taller player. But he wasn't the guy that really jumped out the most to me when I looked at some of the the guys who added size and and took off a little bit of weight. I'll give you a couple of names, both a couple of guys who added weight, and I'll give you one or two who lost weight. You tell me uh, how you read those tea leaves. So weight gainers, the two for me that jumped out the most, uh, Jesse Lucada, a returning starter at linebacker, uh, is now listed at 6'3", which he was last year, but 255 pounds. I don't know if I can remember a Penn State linebacker weighing that much, even though it's spring and even though there's pretty good chance he's probably going to drop some of that weight. But does that surprise you that he got that big? Yeah, it does. And to your point, I mean, we've seen these weights listed on the roster. Sometimes they're really accurate, and then sometimes yeah. they're not even close. So I think you have to keep that in mind that it seems like more often than not, Bob, Penn State's weights are pretty close to accurate. But yeah, that was an enormous jump for him. I didn't see coming. And I have a really hard time believing he's going to be carrying all that weight in the summer. But it makes you wonder what happened that he got on. You know, why did he add it in the first place? You know, it seems like Dwight Galt would 
have a pretty good plan in place to kind of avoid something like that, unless they want him in the two fifties and they build him up and then they'll bring him back down a little bit. I don't know, but yeah, that was uh, noticeable to say the least. Yeah. Another one that I, I I'm pretty sure he's not going to play it this way, but he is now officially a supersized large human PJ Mustafer, yeah, who is now uh, in his f- fourth year. He's never had a red shirt, but last year didn't count. I think this was his fourth year. He was a member of James's 2018 class. Six four. He's a big defensive tackle. Last year he played around 300 pounds. They list him now at 326. That is that's a lot of weight. I think they want him maybe a little bit bigger, maybe 305, 310. Remember James talked at the start of his press conference about how this is his heaviest team, and I think that's I don't know if he meant like average weight, but he said they're I, I think across the board four pounds heavier than the 2016 and 2020 teams. And there are some big lads on this team, but I don't know if James and John Scott, the second-year defensive line coach, want P.J. Mustafer at 325 when they open their season, scheduled to open their season at Wisconsin. Yeah, I don't either, but I can tell you this. I don't know. You know he's going to be moving some offensive yeah. linemen around this year, that's for sure. And I don't know how many are going to be moving him. So, yeah, yeah he was always a big guy. and. Sure. He's added weight, I think, in each of the off seasons that he's been in. But yeah, I mean, it's, it is tough, Bob. And this is one of the things we'll miss this particular spring is it, we used to be able to get in and see some things and yeah. you can put that 326 into some context, you know, uh, same with Jesse Lucetta. You can put that, you could look at a guy and put it in the context and we're not able to do that this year. And I'm sure there'll be photos that come out at some point and that will yeah. help some, but yeah, you're right. Again, I, it, it's hard to think, and to your point, it's just hard to think that uh, they want these guys carrying that much weight once uh, the summer actually rolls around. Yeah. A couple of – also, one, one quick note. We've always talked about Parker Washington built like a running back as a wide out, and he's just – this. you know, everyone thinks of him, and he's they list him at 5'10", Greg, and they probably think of him as a small player, but he's a powerfully built – uh, slot receiver, very tough to bring down. Can't really arm tackle him very quick in space. Last year, they listed him at 5'10", 205, up to 210 now. Let's see if he can hold that weight. But that is almost ideal running back size. So we'll see if he can hold that weight. And, Greg, let's just talk about – I want to talk about at least one player that dropped some weight. Hakeem Beeman, who is one of our most interesting Lions this year uh, entering spring considering plays defensive tackle. He was in the mid to high 290s, according to Penn State's roster late in 2020. They list him now at 269. What do you make of that? Yeah, I again, some of these weights, when they fluctuate the way that they do, it just gives you cause for pause about what may have happened. That Guys who you thought were going to get bigger did not. Guys you thought <laughs> would get smaller did not. I mean, it just sometimes you look at it and you think to yourself, what, what are we missing here? But, you know, Hakeem Beeman, Bob, is a guy yeah. that, I think we've talked about a lot and others have too, the kind of the breakout guy in this defensive line room. And I know that some people will now be pointing that arrow towards Nick Tarburton because James Franklin kind yeah. of gave his best Carl Nassib-esque oh, yeah. uh, praise to Nick Tarburton. And the thing with Nick Tarburton is I have no doubt that he can play better and, and do more than he has in the past, but it's really challenging to not think about his injury history when having that conversation and knowing that, if this guy is fully healthy, maybe he will be what people thought he was as a recruit, but he just hasn't been. And what makes you think yeah. he's going to be? So that comes to mind when discussing him. But Hakeem Beeman, you know, 
we saw some really nice things out of him during the 2020 season in limited action. I can only imagine what he's going to do now that his plate uh, will be fuller, even with Derek Tangelo in. So, yeah, that was interesting to see, too. Yeah, and you watch. We'll be talking about all these these weight gains and weight losses. And in two weeks, somebody from Penn State's going to tell us they reversed the six and the nine with Beeman, and he's not 269. He's 296, and we're going to have even more egg on our faces. But that was my initial read on some of the weight gains and weight losses. Get in, Greg. Let's get into the, our most interesting list. Tell the listeners and the viewers kind of what we're trying to do here uh, in the offseason. It's, it's our take, not only on the players, but on the coaches. And it's not a list of their most talented players or their most important players, but these could be players that interest us for a variety or coaches who interest us for a variety of reasons. So, why don't you just tell the listeners how we kind of came up with the idea how we came up with the ranking because we kind of we both have our strong opinions as to who's interesting and who's not just tell the listeners the kind of the thought behind this list yeah so i guess let me just do our little promo first it's the blue white breakdown pen lives penn state podcast you can find it wherever you get your audio apple stitcher google and spotify the video version youtube.com slash all penn state and you can sign up to read things like our most interesting list, penlive.com slash Penn State football and become a Penn Live Sports Insider today. Bob, I think the one thing that you said when you first pitched this idea is the idea here is to not pick the obvious and to not do it as the most important people, because if it was going to be the most important people, the list might look a lot different than interesting. Yeah. And I think you and I both have a little bit of a different way of looking at interesting when we were doing our rankings. There were some that I think we were pretty close on and some mm-hmm. that were not close at all. Right. And, uh, you know, the idea here is basically to say, look, these guys, coaches or players, as you said, going into this year, they're interesting. And for one reason or another, be it because they need to step up, be it because they were highly ranked recruits that maybe are not yet there, or maybe they are there and faster than we expect it. Maybe this is the year they're going to break out. And obviously, Mike Yersich is going to be on that list for obvious, you know, guys like Mike Yersich, Song Clifford, Noah Kane, you know, they're on this list for obvious reasons. But I think there's some others that, um, yeah. that you know, might surprise some people. And uh, as you'll see with our reasoning as this series unfolds, we're taping this on Tuesday, which is the day it kicked off. I believe our plan, Bob, is Thursday and Saturday to unveil some more of these names. So. Yeah. Um, We're just going to keep building the suspense, building yeah. the suspense. So within the coming days, you'll see that. But yeah, I mean, the, the again, the idea here is not to say these are the most important Penn State yeah. football people, but the most interesting ones in our mind. So that's where we, uh, and I'm sure we'll get plenty of feedback, Bob. Oh, we will. Doubts about that. Yeah. So Greg and I, what we did is we went from 25 to one. We gave our individual lists of the most interesting Lions, coaches, and players. And then we averaged them. Essentially, we averaged them try to combine the score. So the, the inaugural list, let's just talk. I'll give, I'll give the names and maybe Greg, why don't you just say of the, what's the one name that jumps out to you the most from, from, so we ranked Tuesday, we ranked 25 through 21. So the list was offensive tackle, Rashid Walker, Hakeem Beeman, the defensive lineman made the list. The tight end, Brenton Strange made the list, the young tight end for Penn state. John Scott Jr. is on the list. 
Penn State's second-year defensive line coach. And John Lovett, transfer running back from Baylor, also on our first list of five for the 25 most interesting Lions kind of in the spring and maybe moving past the spring. We might have to revise it after the spring because sometimes there are some reveals from James Franklin and his assistant coaches, so we'll revise some things. But that's that was our initial list of five. Greg, of that list, just one or two names that you think are why they're the most interesting to you. Yeah, I mean, let's start with John Lovett, Bob. You know, when you look at uh, what he brings to this Penn State program, it's not just experience in terms of being a starter before at the FBS level, working in a weight class, all that kind of stuff. It also is uh, this idea that, you know, Penn State lost, unfortunately, a pretty, uh, you know, a pretty, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? A strong veteran presence when Journey Brown, unfortunately, was taken off the field due to a heart condition. And so John Lovett, I think, provides that for what is still a very, very young running back room, even if it has had success. So he definitely interests me this year. What will he add to that group? I'm not saying he's going to be the starter, but... Would it shock anyone if Noah Kane maybe runs a 1B to his 1A to start the year, especially if Noah Kane takes longer than expected to get right. back? I don't think that would surprise anyone and vice versa as well. And then, um, you know, the other name here to me is John Scott Jr. You know, that defensive line, man, we talk a lot about the past defense, maybe not always being up to snuff and things like that. But that defensive line is sometimes maybe not given as much blame for that problem as it should. And so I think that the way he improves this group or maybe doesn't improve this group during his first chance uh, to work with them hands on during a spring practice, I think is enormously important for what this defense is going to look like in 2021, because they have a lot of pieces that replaced and a lot of questions that need to be answered. So those two jump out to me. Yeah, I think good calls on both of them. Love it. 18 total touch- touchdowns during his career at Baylor. 2020, he he didn't really have as big of a workload. I, I don't know if he had some injury issues or, or or what happened there. But if you look at a couple of those years he had at Baylor, I think especially when Matt Rule was there, he was a really, really talented back. I'm curious to see what he can do. He has been given some praise on social media from uh, running backs coach Jaywan Sider for the way he handled winter conditioning. He sure feels like a veteran presence. You called that right. And then John Scott, you're, you're right as well, Greg. They lose you know, Shaka Tony and Jason Owe, two first-team All-Big Ten ends. Antonio Shelton actually could have come back to play inside. Big guy uh, effective against the run. He's now at Florida. So when you're, when you're pl- replacing three starters, it's a pretty tall order. Penn State likes to think that they've always recruited the defensive line position well. And they certainly have a number of intriguing names, led by Hakeem Beeman maybe inside and some other players outside. You mentioned Zariah Fisher. We'll see about that. But I think you're really going to see what John Scott Jr. is really good at this year, given his spring. How good of a coach is he at developing talent? He he had a veteran cast to work with last year. He didn't get to work with them during the spring, and I'm sure that didn't help. But much more of known quantities last year on that defensive line. I don't know if that's easier or harder if you're trying to establish the way you want to coach the defensive line. He's got younger players now, Greg, along with two transfers that he might be able to mold the way he wants to mold them. But it is absolutely a big year, I think, for John Scott Jr. and the Penn State defensive line. I still have images of that 0-5 start, and I didn't think anyone played well on defense for for much of that start. So we'll see how the defensive line does. And you're right, Greg, the interesting list will only get more interesting 
in the coming days and weeks before we get to our final few guys. I enjoyed doing it. It was it took a little while to put it together, but we're rolling now, Greg. Before we cap this edition of the Blue White Breakdown with Bob Founders and Greg Pickle, I have to ask you, just give me a couple of early thoughts on March Madness. Have you sized up the field? You've been known to place a better two, especially now, obviously now that it's legal in Pennsylvania. Any early thoughts on what you might be doing during the first couple of days of March Madness? Yeah, I like Georgia Tech a lot in the opener. I think that's my favorite first round play is Georgia Tech. In terms of the the bracket, Bob, I guess if you're filling out a bracket, don't you have to decide whether or not you're going to follow the masses, which I assume that it's going to be the masses, and take Gonzaga to win it all? And if not, I think you just go off the beaten path and hope like (laughs) heck that you're right. I, I don't. I feel like if you just run Gonzaga, I mean, maybe it is. Maybe this year is all. Uh, but it's ah. just between the between the the COVID possibilities and things like that. I just, it is a difficult. Uh, to me, it is a very difficult year to try and project. You know, a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I think everyone feels good about the one seeds, but uh, maybe unlike years past, and of course, the Big Ten's well represented. But yeah, to me, Georgia Tech's the one that jumps out to me the most, and. Villanova too. I, Winthrop's going to be the trendy five twelve upset. Good luck. I don't think so. I know Villanova <laughs> has some injury problems and things like that, but I will be backing the Wildcats to make it through to the round of thirty two. I they're not going to beat Baylor, and that I guess wouldn't be. They would draw the winner of Purdue and North Texas. I don't think they can beat Purdue, but uh, and they certainly won't get past Baylor, assuming both would. Yeah, Baylor gets out to the Sweet Sixteen, but yeah. Winthrop's going to be the trendy 12-5. No, thank you. Villanova and the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets noted. I have a funny feeling I might be uh, rooting for them as well then. So, Greg, it's been great chatting with you. I hope you I, – I hear you might have a little downtime coming up. Very much well-earned. Penn State spring practices are kicking off. Hopefully we'll get some more updates from some assistant coaches and some players about how things are going up at Penn State. We'll probably have some word, some definitive word on the blue and white game, maybe by this time next week, or probably 10 seconds after we post this podcast. But Greg, always a pleasure. Enjoy the tournament. Enjoy enjoy your time off. And I'll talk to you soon.